Warning, this podcast contains sexual content, graphic language, and bodily functions. Get over it. I'm Heather Ann Gottlieb, and this is Dirty Girl, the show where women tell stories about the fucked up shit they deal with every day. Because there's more than one way to get dirty. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Dirty Girl Season 2. So excited to be here with you. We missed you so much. Did you miss us? Oh, we missed you. Uh, we are so excited for Season 2 to be partnered with Hoo-Ha-Ha. Hoo-Ha-Ha is a creative community and digital content studio that elevates women in comedy. They're an amazing organization. We are psyched to be partnered with them along with the other amazing podcasts, Gender Fluids, and Women of Size. Today, we're going to be talking with Jana Schmeeding, the host of Women of Size. Woo! Her podcast is amazing, funny, insightful. She brings on women of size to chat about their bodies and how they take up space and reclaiming their love and their acceptance of their bodies. She shared two stories with me, one about something coming out of her vagina and one about something going into her vagina. And one of those was something I seriously had never heard before in my life. And she's just a rad bitch. Here's Janet. And one time I had such bad abdominal pain and I was like, ooh, this is going to be a bad period. And then I got home and I had literally like passed a like what looked like a bloody ear lobe. Uh -huh, I'm not kidding. It was a clot because I took it to the gynecologist the next day and I was like, what the hell came out into my underwear? And it looks like it has tissue in it, like chicken skin kind of. And she was like... It's a clot. And I was like, no way. No way. I got to slow this down. This is so exciting. <laughs> <laughs> so you had a big stomach ache and you were like, I'm about to get my period. Yeah. You go home. The next day, you look into your underwear and what do you find? Uh, yeah, I looked. I like went to go pee and... I mean, here's the thing. When I had the, the cramps, I was at a rehearsal. I was being, I was very active. Like I was, it was an improv rehearsal. So I was involved, you know, my mentally present. And I was like, oh God, I got some cramps, but like, let me just take an ibuprofen and I'll be fine. Um, I can get through this, but like, it was bad. I was like, oh God, like it's giving me like the sweats. You know, when the cramps are so bad that you're like, do I have the flu or is this my period? Um, it was like that. And I thought I was gonna like shit my pants at one point. It was just like real bad. So yeah, I got home. It was probably like 9, 10 p.m. Eastern time. Um, and I pulled down my pants and in my underwear was what looked like a bloody ear. It had a lobe to it, it was round, and it looked like I picked it up because I needed to know if I just had maybe, I mean, honestly, what I did was I picked it up, I had it in my hand, and I took a picture of it, and I sent it to my sister, my mom, and two friends to be like, what the fuck is this? <laughs> 
What did it feel like? It felt like it had tissue in it. Like I was, I was like, this feels like a, it feels like a, it feel, it felt like skin. Like, you know how soft, you know, chicken skin is like very soft. It kind of has like bumps in it, you know, like follicles. That's, I saw, I swear to God, I saw that it had like follicles and I was like, what the fuck just came out of my uterus? Holy shit. And of course I'm going through the litany of things like, could it be that I miscarried? You know, I mean, that was the first thing. And my mom was like, Jana, you need to go to the gynecologist because is there any way that this could be a miscarriage? And I was like, um, sexually, no. Magically, yes. Then, you know, my mom, of course, who's like not a trained nurse, but she's a pretty well-trained mom who like has dealt with medical things she was like could it be like a polyp or you know some kind of like what's a polyp uh like a uterine uh cyst you know um and I was like I fucking I don't know I mean it was it felt so bad passing it you know that I was like what and I of course went to like uh WebMD and was like what is it like to experience a miscarriage? And all of the things added up, like ranging from like feeling really sick and nauseous and, you know, being extremely sick and like, you know, it depends. So I was like, oh my God, what the fuck? So I, yeah, the next day I, after work, <laughs> I put it, I put it in a, what I did that night is I put it in a um, plastic baggie and I put it in my freezer. I was like, I don't want it to lose its shape. <laughs> and then the next day, um, I put it in the backpack cause I'm a teacher. <laughs> I brought it with me to work. Uh, and after work, I like went to the gynecologist and, um, I, I was like, Hey, I passed this thing. So, like, do whatever you gotta do to, uh, tell me what the fuck it was. And she was like, it's a clot, I know it. I was like, I just need to know for sure, can you please just do any kind of test? And she was like, well, the one test that we're gonna do to, like, solve this issue is we're gonna do a pregnancy test. Because apparently, you have the hormones in your, after you have a miscarriage or you give birth, you still have that hormone that they're testing for when you take a pee test. She gave me the pee test. I was not pregnant. It was not a fetus or a cell of any kind. And then she stuck the dildo up me and did the ultrasound for uh, uterine cysts, and it wasn't that either. It was literally just a clot. I have no the fuck idea how a clot turns into a chicken skin chunk. I don't get it. I mean, I, I understand that, like, when your uterine lining is sloughing that the contents and in your menstruating, it can be chunky. Chunky. That's that I have experienced, but never have I seen it as one like uh, placenta, a tiny placenta. <laughs> I have never heard of this. This is so exciting. Well, I've asked a lot of other women about it, and I've heard some people say that they've had very big clots that have come out in the shower or something, and they're just, like, dumbfounded at how giant it is. But um, I have not experienced it before nor since. 
have so many questions. I love the idea of your roommate like going for ice cream and finding like your blood clot in A the blood freezer. blood clot, I know. Like, don't touch that. I gotta get it tested. <laughs> or like you at work and like your blood clot falls out of your bag and the kids are like, ah! like, don't touch it, kids. I gotta get it tested. Love that. Oh, uh, yeah. Um, another question. <laughs> you didn't give any context when you just texted your friends and your family. You just said, look what this is. I was, it wasn't look what this is. I was like, what the fuck is this? I needed help. Like I, need, I needed to crowdsource uh, information. What did they, what did they say? Um, nobody knew. A lot of people were just like, holy shit, holy shit. Uh, most of them, the, you know, I, ch- I chose the friends who would be able to help like the closest, you know, and they were all like, oh my God, like this is disgusting and incredible. I mean, most everybody was like fascinated. They were like, go to the gynecologist. My mom was the only one who was just like, you know, shooting off all kinds of options. (laughs) She said three kids. I'm like, if anybody knows it's her. (laughs) I mean, I think you did the right thing. I think. Yeah. I, I don't know if I would think to like physically take it. That's such a good idea. Cause you can be like, you want it? Like, it's fucking right here. Yeah, I know. I mean, I wonder how often gynecologists get a, a person who's like, here's my samples, doc. Uh, <laughs> um, but that's got to be something that occurs in a OBGYN, like, in that space. You've got to get people who are bringing in just the nastiest, weirdest body things. The vagina and the reproductive system on in the the female gender's anatomy is a fucking it's just a giant shoot with a balloon a bloody balloon at the top you know and like tubes and shit going through it but it's just a shoot who knows what can fall out of there so much we can put things in there Pretty easily, and so it doesn't surprise me that my body just, like, mustered up a chubby little ear and shot it right out of my puss. When I was studying in London, uh, in college, I took a spring break to, uh, Amsterdam, and, uh, of course I was like, I couldn't find weed while I was in London, I didn't really know any people, locals, and I'm not, actually, I don't really know what England's weed scene is, although I doubt it's bad. It's a pretty good climate for that. When I was in Amsterdam, I was like, I'm going to fucking smuggle weed back, and this was in 2004, not long after 9-11, so we're talking about pretty strict uh, security, but I was like, whatever, I'm just going to put it into one of those joint plastic joint holders, you know, that are, like, pretty big. They're a little bit longer than a... Uh, a tampon but thinner and I just went put it right up my vagina and brought it into uh, England and then I had weed for a week (laughs) was it worth it? I think so yeah I have used it as a pocket it's pretty handy it was just just one joint or, or just the weed itself I had a one hitter in uh, London. I didn't have like rolling papers. Rolling papers are very smelly. I didn't want to, you know, put anybody out. I just wanted to be able to pop outside, 
do take a look a look, quick little one hit and uh that's what we did when you were walking around with it in you how did you feel it wasn't comfortable i'll be honest it was long enough that the uh base of it i did skinny end up and you know cuz the joint roller it's kind of like a uh, a tube that you know has a sharper end, not sharp, but, you know, has a more narrow end and a thicker end where you open it up. But I did skinny end at the top, and so the base, the thicker uh, end, the base of the tube, was, like, right, like, sitting right in my, right, like, where, at the opening of my vagina, basically. And so I was just, like, on the plane, shifting around. Again, this was so long ago, like, I did such stupid shit when I was, like, younger person that like I was like whatever I don't even care like it's totally worth it I need weed in London to get through this amazing theater program that I'm privileged enough to do (laughs) I feel like I would be so proud knowing what I had to do to get that hit I mean it's a story that I tell to this day I definitely carry it with a certain amount of uh, pride I really did I smuggled it in my vagina How many people can say that they haven't thought about that and then just executed it? A lot of us think about doing it. How often do we actually do it? I don't know. I don't know. You're a a pie in the (laughs) earth. Thank you. Thank you. (laughs) Stay tuned after the break for shit like this. I just want to make myself the most ugly fucking wench. I'm Janish Meeting, a native writer and comedian, and I'm thrilled to announce that my podcast, Woman of Size, has found a permanent home on the Hoo-Ha-Ha Network. On Woman of Size, I talk to artists, writers, activists, and thinkers about their big-ass lives, their big-ass experiences, and their big asses. Woman of Size is plus size, Latina, flawed, curvy, curvy, thick queen, queer, fat, black, disabled. So come take up space and subscribe to Woman of Size on Apple Podcasts or wherever you like to listen. Be big, baby. Uh, So let's talk about your show, your podcast. Okay. And how you came to do it, why you're passionate about it, and all that good good. Well, I was actually thinking about this earlier. I was like, how did I come to do this podcast? You know, when Trump was elected, let's start there. When Trump was elected, I, I, I was so angry at, the, at men and, the, and toxic masculinity and masculinity, period. I just, I couldn't stand the fact that a rapist was running our country. And it made me also hate a lot of the things that are present when we talk about toxic masculinity. Um, and I was also at this at the time, uh, had just been not necessarily ghosted by a person, but like just, he just stopped communicating with me. Um, and we had had great chemistry and like a really, really good thing that I thought was like, Uh, I haven't had this kind of chemistry with a dude in a minute, so I had no idea where it was coming from. So I was, I was mad about that. I was frustrated. And then I was just really 
feeling like I, my like initial response to this, all of this was, I just want to make myself the most ugly fucking wench for the male gaze. Like I want to make myself so repulsive that it disturbs them. An act of defiance by being unacceptably ugly. I posted something about that on the socials. I don't remember what it is. It was like right after Trump was elected. I was like, I just want to be, I want to make myself disgusting to men. I'm mad. And some woman commented, have you ever considered being fat? Men can't stand a fat, confident person. And I was like, that's so fucking true. That's the truest thing I've ever heard. And she wasn't saying it to insult. She was speaking from experience and saying, I mean, how much more defiant could you be against the male gaze, against the white gaze, uh, you know, that uh, is to be a person who doesn't give a fuck about thinness. I've just always been a curvier, meatballish person compared to my peers. Uh, I've been always short, but like very sturdy. (laughs) Always sturdy. (laughs) I'm also native. I'm Native American. I am, and my mother's side of the family are all women of size. Nice, hearty, like beautifully shaped, wonderful, generous, a generous matriarchy in my family. Like, yeah, I was just very interested in having a lot of discussions with other people in my life who experience uh, size-based discrimination. And especially those who are people who exist in the intersection of size, fatness, and um, brownness, essentially. I just decided to make a podcast about it. I was like, I I think it's a fascinating topic. And I'm sure if I think it's fascinating, there's going to be a whole sea of people who also think it's fascinating. Can you talk a little bit about some of the things you've learned while interviewing all these other women? What commonalities do you find, have you found in your stories as a whole that is existing while being fat? Well, one of the most prominent trends that I've noticed in interviewing different women and people of size is that a lot of us do not use the same terminology when we talk about our body. So there, so the idea of even using the term fat as a descriptor, a simple descriptor to describe what I look like or how I might appear is very controversial. It's very political still. There is a movement that's happening that is like, take it back. It's okay to be fat. And it's actually, can it be wonderful? Can fat be a thing that we, you know, in the same way that we associate thinness with good wellness, we associate thinness with health, with wellness, with beauty, with uh, whiteness, uh, we associate a lot, we pack a lot onto these terms that depict our size. And so not everybody is comfortable calling themselves fat. So yeah, there's, it's very a politically loaded term that I think that 
a lot of people are trying to depoliticize it. What is fat? You know, like at what point do I cross over into fat? And at one point do I, am I fat enough to leave fat and I'm beyond fat? You know, there are like super fat people who identify as super fat or infinifat as another term um, posed it because we have a lot of sizes <laughs> that are happening, in, especially in the United States. Um, but yeah. There's a lot of things that a person can be hated for, especially if you're a woman or femme. There's a lot of things that people can be hated for, but being fat transcends all other oppressions. The idea of fatness, um, even progressive thinkers and politicians and feminists, like the most radical thinkers will still say, but if you're fat, it's your fault. So that's not, so you could go on a diet and not be fat, uh, or you could, you could be thinner, you could be healthier. Um, I accept everybody except for fat people, essentially. Like, people have limits on their justice. It's very fucked up. That's where I think it becomes, you know, an aspect of feminism that is completely not discussed. I think that fat justice and fat positivity, I'm, I've, like, completely left the term body positivity. I'm now onto fat positivity because I'm, like... I don't give a shit. Like, anybody can feel positive about their body, but it's very easy for thin people to feel positive. And you are not, you might think you look fat or you might say out loud that you feel fat on a certain day, but the reality is you're not walking down the street and people are hurling insults at you or you're being trolled for writing about your body or you're being or posting a picture, a selfie of yourself on Instagram. Like it's a completely different experience to live in the world as a fat person. And there are variations on that theme too. So visible. It's like the most silently visible discrimination that happens in our culture. Can we talk about your, uh, you mentioned indigenous feminism, Mm -hmm. something that you've are excited about and passionate about and interested about. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Yeah. Um, well, I am um, a citizen of the Cheyenne River Lakota Sioux tribal nation. I was raised pretty traditionally, but I also grew up in a largely white world, um, a largely non-native uh, experience. So I see both sides of the coin. And I think that there are just constantly indigenous issues that happen in our culture that are completely swept under the rug. So mainstream non-native people and culture is, you're, there's a lot of illiteracy about the existence and struggles of modern indigenous people in our country. And it's really a problematic I mean, no, it's not problematic. It's really racist (laughs) because for a lot of reasons, one being that indigenous people are at the front lines of all of the most important political um, movements that are happening in our country right now. We are on the front lines of uh, environmental movements. We are at the center of environmental movements. We are the stewards of land. We are the original inhabitants of this place. So losing it is absolutely not an option. So that's why it's 
extremely important that indigenous people are centered in conversations about environmental movements. We have to take the white narrative out of the, I think, out of the, uh, the whole construct of I just want to recycle and like save the whales and shit. And we have to put humans at the center and the people who are affected most by climate change and environmental injustice are brown, black and indigenous people. Um, That's worldwide. So we're on the front lines of those movements. We're on the front lines of uh, feminist movements. Uh, Indigenous women uh, experience the most the highest rate of sexual assault and abuse and abuse, domestic violence and abuse in our nation and abroad. And um, it's not documented federally. So there's a lot of movements about getting our own data <laughs> even recorded because of the different politics that go into tribal sovereignty and the federal government and the established, the, the colonial state made it such that uh, we have a paternal relationship with the government, the federal government. And so a lot of our in, interaction as in different tribal communities have to do with, um, you know, getting laws passed and, and <laughs> making sure that those laws stay in place, like the Violence Against Women Act, for example, which because of the government shutdown right now, we it has lapsed. That's like a major part of my identity and a major part of like the platform is just making sure that people are also aware that like indigeneity, uh, Colonialism is so wrapped up in in body justice. The two are intertwined. Like mm. the to understand the settler gaze and how and you know to understand enslavement and to understand um, the history of uh, child separation, family separation in indigenous communities during you know early settler colonialism. All of these things are totally, totally intertwined with the way that we discuss our bodies now and how, honestly, how liberated we are or not. So let me get off my soapbox about it. But but that's really like the crux of it. Oh, I love a good soapbox moment. (laughs) I love it. Teach us. (laughs) What are ways people of thin privilege can educate themselves or arm themselves to help and become allies? Oh, there's so many things. Oh my God, how do I begin? You know, I would first, here's some steps. Here's some tips. I would start with the simple stuff. The simple stuff is flood your Instagram timelines with fat women and femmes and trans people and dark skinned black people, (laughs) you know, like put, look at it, like look at fatness, start to read the comments, you know, like educate yourself about what the existence seems to be like and investigate your thinking about it. If your first impulse is, oh, no, you know, like that is an automatic response. And we have to start to realize that our our thinking about the way that we are approaching things that we see and 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 uh, interact with in our world like that has been programmed. We got to deprogram the fucking fucked up shit that we think like these are biases that have been developed over time. A lot of us, since the moment we were born, right? 
fat phobia exists in everywhere. It exists in cartoons. It exists in children's literature. It exists everywhere. Like there's truly no peaceful way to be fat in this in the Western world. It's really a lot of like unlearning. I think the next step is to start reading fat authors and studying um, fatness as a concept. Wow. I use this tagline on my podcast, but I always just say, be big, baby. Thank you for spitting your knowledge. You're welcome. And those truth bombs. And (laughs) I know I've learned something today. I hope (laughs) the bitches listening at home also. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a great little uh, rabbit hole to go down into and a worldview to embrace, I think. Thank you so much to this week's guest, Janice Schmeeding of the Woman of Size podcast. She's also on the Hoo Ha Ha podcast network. Please like, subscribe, follow, support her. We love her at Woman of Size pod on all the socials and Woman of Size podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Dirty Girl is produced by me, Heather Ann Gottlieb, along with Cameron Taggy, Tristan Bankston, and Alex Salem. We are distributed by the Hoo Ha Ha Podcast Network. Our logo was designed by Kevin Laughlin. Did you know we have an Instagram? Oh my gosh, we totally do. It's at Dirty Girl Pod. We post so much feminist garbage. It's amazing. The art is great. Oh, oh, you hate feminism? Oh, that's great. We want to hear why. Just email us at dirtygirlpodcast at gmail.com. This has been a hoo-ha-ha podcast.